0: Now, I would ask that you join me in a word of prayer. If you can kneel, uh, I invite you to kneel with me. And let's seek the Lord together. Father in heaven, we come before you. We praise your holy name. We thank you so much for your wonderful watch care over us. Uh, You take care of all our needs, our temporal needs, We have uh, homes, shelters out of the uh, the uh, weather and storms. Uh, We have uh, uh, food for our tables. Uh, We have clothing. We have the necessities uh, that uh, that are needed. And you've promised to provide for our needs. And we thank you so much for that. You've also provided for our our eternal need. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus, that you've sent your Son. Uh, not only to uh, provide forgiveness to us by taking the penalty of sin, dying for us, but you sent us a guide, an example, uh, uh, and Jesus lived a a complete righteous life. Uh, He showed us who you are, that you're not a, a vengeful God, that you're not a policeman waiting for us to to break the law so you can punish us, but that you are love that you as John says you are love, and so we thank you so much for the most precious of gifts we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that you send to help us develop a righteous character and as we depend more and more on him to teach us in the school of Christ, we pray for that grace as we walk with with thee each and every moment. And we pray, as Paul says, without ceasing. And Father, we, we've come on bended knee to lift up those that we know who are who are ailing, those who are hurting. You know, Susan's uncle Jack, he broke his femur, and that's boy, that's just terrible. It takes a long time to recover. And so we pray for him. And then in all these things that he's going to go through, that he will come to know thee, and that he will accept thee as the great healer. We pray for Dusty's husband and kids and her family. We pray for all our families and children. Lord, we pray for uh, Rollin's mother. She's 93. She lived a long, long life, and we pray that it may continue, that she can be a blessing to those around her, and for his friend, Marilyn, who's suffering from Parkinson's. And, and we know several people. I have an old schoolmate who uh, went into the hospital and and had some flu-like symptoms and and uh, went into a coma. And they've been trying to figure out what's wrong, and they found that she has ah H1N1 virus. She's been given 40% chance by the doctors, but we know that you are the great healer. So, Lord, we... Pray for her. We pray for so many people, not just for their physical healing, but for spiritual health. Help us, Lord, to reach these people before time ends. And I humbly ask, Lord, you give me the things to say today. And speaking about uh, gospel order in the family, and and uh, the responsibility, the role and responsibility of uh, the. Uh, woman and the the wife and mother in the home. I pray that hearts will be open to it, and that each one of us may study to show ourselves approved. And Lord, please forgive us where we failed and where we've sinned. We can't change the past, but we can have a we can have a better today and future. So forgive us and help us, Lord, to keep looking up. I pray this in the blessed name of Jesus, who is so worthy. Amen. This is part one. I entitled this uh, this message a helpmate. And as we've studied about organization, uh, what is referred to as proper gospel order. And those who've been with us uh, each week, uh, you know that we've learned that it is to start with the individual first of all, isn't it? And without a personal walk with the Savior each day, we can be assured, friends, of failing to be properly organized as a greater body of people. You see, it doesn't start with the, quote, organization and trickle down. It starts with the individual, see, and then ripples out. And so, you know, we've been studying this. Excuse me. And we've learned that this personal order um, will bring us into line we walk with Jesus because he wants us to be an example to others of him and then it will ripple out throughout the home and its influence will bring the family circle into order now maybe slowly it's different for for all of us but surely it will and thus it's going to ripple on out to the church and remember a well-ordered what we learned a well-ordered family would do more in the spreading of the gospel truth than any sermon ever could Remember what we we studied this morning in Sabbath school. Personal work. Not just sermonizing, but personal work. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus gave sermons. He taught. But He he was hands-on and did a tremendous amount of personal work, didn't He? Now, in studying all this, I've been drawn back repeatedly to two particular statements as we've gone on here speaking about and learning about organization. And... I cannot emphasize enough the importance of what is being said to us concerning the family unit and gospel order that we find in these statements. And I'm going to read them again to you and refresh your memories a bit. The first one's from the Adventist Home, page 306. Both of them actually are found in the Adventist Home. The first one is page 306. There is need, she says, for constant watching that the principles which lie at the foundation of family government, are not disregarded. Get this, she says, the Lord designs that the families on earth shall be symbols of the family in heaven. And when earthly families are conducted in right lines, the same sanctification of the Spirit will be brought into the church. Okay? Very important. Families on earth are to be symbols of the family in heaven, and when we are our families are conducted in right lines, and that's what we're talking about. How do we bring our families into those right lines? What are the right lines? <laughs> See? And when that happens, when they're conducted in right lines, the same sanctification of the Spirit, that same Spirit that has brought the family into the right lines, will be brought into the church. Because you can have an organization, but not be organized under God's gospel. See? There are several different types of organizations. Okay? And we'll get into that um, later on when we, we get into the more specifics about church offices, church order, etc. Here's the other one. The Adventist Home, page 319. In the, in the home, the foundation is laid for the prosperity of the church. Where at? In the home. The family circle, the family unit. The family firm, as my wife refers to it. The influences that rule in the home life are carried into the church life. Therefore, notice this, this is what I want to emphasize. Church duties should first begin in the home. So you see, I, beloved, I've come to realize that when we get our personal life and our family life in that oneness uh, with Christ that he prayed for, we'll attain order in our homes and then we'll be much better able to restore true gospel order in the church and the statement church duties should first begin in the home we read there on page 319 that's a really powerful statement and one we we need to really contemplate and come to grips with as a people as a people who follow God as a people who declare themselves to be the remnant of God You see, each role in the family unit, the husband, the wife, and if you have children, children, teaches us something about God's ideal in the organization of the church. We began looking at the roles and responsibilities of the family unit with the understanding that church duties first begin at home, see. We looked at the role a couple of weeks ago. We looked at the role of men, husbands, fathers, and we found that their headship, their leadership and Savior-like responsibilities in the family are examples of the qualifications for particular leadership positions in the church. Namely, for as an example, uh, those positions that, in the church that require the handling of sacred rites, like communion and baptism and, and marriage. Not all men, biblically speaking, Beloved, not all men qualify for such positions, but all women do not. You understand what I'm saying? It has to do, you see, with headship and being the representative of Christ in such rights. And nowhere in the Bible can you find an example of the woman, the wife, the mother having such responsibilities given to her. Now, she has great responsibilities given to her, and I want to spend some time looking at the role, you see, the biblical role of women and wives and mothers, and maybe even get into some about children as well, but probably, yeah, that's going to come a little bit later, not today. Now, this may be a difficult study um, for some, as it may reveal, you know, deficiencies in their family life. It might cause some hurt feelings or bad memories to arise. And that's not the intention. And and I want to encourage you, you know, to to stand fast in Jesus, as He shares. Basically, He's sharing uh, what needs to be shared to bring us closer to Him. And when we get closer to Him, we become closer to each other. You see, if our eye is single to God's glory, at least in my experience, you. We will rejoice in having such truths revealed to us that would otherwise keep us from being with Christ and advancing in and advancing the gospel. Listen to this statement here. This is from Testimonies for the Church, volume 6, page 430. And I've shared this with you before. This goes along with the, the first ones too that, I, that I've shared already. She says, Christian homes, Christian homes, okay, established and conducted in accordance with God's plan are among his most effective agencies for the formation of Christian character and for the advancement of his work. Now she says, established and conducted in accordance with God's plan And what does it do? It helps to form Christian character, and it helps to advance His work. So, beloved, do you want to have a Christian character? I think we all can say yes. <laughs> do you want to advance the Savior's work? Well, yes. Then what, what has to happen? We must establish and conduct our home in accordance to God's plan. We must always be open and honest with ourselves, you see, and be willing to change those things that keep us away from Christ. That's the hard part, isn't it? It keeps us, when we don't submit, it keeps us not only away from Christ, but it keeps us away from each other, and it uh, keeps the church uh, disorganized and in disunity. But I say, let's always be advancing towards Christ, amen? Let's always be advancing towards His principles of order and not away from Him. So I'll be speaking, essentially, to the women in this study, but the men, uh, I'd encourage you to pay close attention to these principles as well, for it does affect the family family firm. Sure, and always pray for your spouse, always. And I want the ladies to know, just up front, that this isn't a blame game, (laughs) you know, by any means. But it's, it's a revealing a gospel order in the home pertaining to your responsibilities under God. Not under Pastor Joel. Not Pastor Joel's ideas. This is from the Word of God. And what I have found in, in knowing other ladies besides my wife who uh, have embraced Jesus and these counsels, they're some of the happiest people I've ever seen how can you be unhappy if jesus is in your heart you know so um for the moment anyway these these truths cut against the culture we live in but like i mentioned a little bit earlier i foresee a swinging back of that social pendulum to some to some degree anyway before jesus returns uh, we see it happening already Uh, But, uh, you know, I can preach about that some other time. But uh, what we want, our ultimate goal as members of the family of God is to have godly families. Is that true? Amen? And in order to reach this lofty goal, and it is lofty, we must learn and understand the role that God has for each of us and the responsibilities He has given us. And remember, God doesn't ask us to do something that He doesn't uh, give us the strength and power to do. Isn't that true? So by grace, each of us can fulfill our role and responsibility through Jesus Christ. I'll remind you that Jesus said in Mark 9, 23. He said, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And in John fifteen five, he says, without me, you can do nothing. So, ladies, if you want a godly husband and family, you must put all your faith and trust in Christ. And depend on Him completely. Not seeking your own will, but His will in all matters. You see, you must submit to Christ first. Then you can be a beacon to your families that points the way to Jesus. And as I mentioned before, in speaking to men, this is before I, you know, I'm going to I'm going to speak to this before we get into uh, the responsibilities. But I, I brought this up to the men. One of the greatest problems in the family firm today, marriage, probably specifically, more specifically, is that the differences between male and female have only been taught from a a pure, um, mainly pure physical point of view. I would say an evolutionary-based view. The theory of evolution, you see. The truth that God created man and woman with more than physical differences is not taught much at all in the world and very little in the church. I would say not in any great detail. Accepting such a cultural fallacy is one of the greatest failings of the church, I believe. And I believe it's a major cause in the dysfunction of the family unit, the Christian family unit. As we learned in our recent studies, a Christian family is the most effective means of spreading the gospel. So... You know, it can't come as a shock to us that Satan attacks the family unit with such force. If it's one of the most effective means of spreading the gospel, let's not think that the family unit is not going to be in an all-out war with the devil. You see, if he can cause confusion as to the role of the family, he can destroy the effectiveness of the church to save souls. I'll tell you. What we've heard over the last hundred years or so from the feminist movement is not really equal rights between men and women. O'May started out somewhat with that in mind. And that's noble. Don't get me wrong. That's noble. You know? If you do the same job as another gender, you should be paid the same. That's between you and your employer, though. But the trumpet from this movement, is anything you can do, I can do better. And this beacon call really comes from pagan female goddess worship, if you you want to get down to brass tacks. And it's not only used to plant the notion that there are so few differences between men and women as to be gender neutral, which spawned the homosexual movement as well, but also that the female is above the male and thus there is no real definition of a family unit, you see. And in such a view, men and women are reduced to mere biological beings with few differences, thus no family role distinction, you see. And the sad thing is that these same false ideas have become too prevalent in the church. And the church is substituting essentially, evolutionary theories for the truth that we find in God's Word. But I'll tell you, friends, the Word of God very succinctly spells out the emotional, the mental, and physical differences between men and women. And the truth is that the differences are so wide now that without God's grace, without education, and a concentrated effort to understand each other as men and women, as husband and wife, as father and mother, it'll be virtually impossible to have a happy marriage and thus a solid family unit, Christian unit. Now, I shared this with you uh, when we spoke about leaders in the home Uh, In his book entitled, If Only He Knew, Gary Smalley gives two major reasons for failed marriages, and thus I'd say a breakdown of the family unit. First, he says that, quote, men and women enter marriage with storybook expectations and limited training. And in my experience, that's absolutely dead on. It's so true. The relationship, you see, is usually based solely upon how does he or she make me feel? Rather than a fulfilling partnership according to God's love and order. Now, there is a place for that how does he or she make me feel. But that is the the end all we see today. That's why we see so many divorces. The feelings have changed. As feelings do. And if your relationship is based just on, just on, see, just on feelings, there's going to be change. You know, a couple get married and within a time find that their feelings have changed toward each other and and the marriage heads down the road of failure. But with the correct training before marriage and even during a strained marriage, it's never too late to learn. Um, Happiness and joyful Fulfillment can be a reality, just as God planned, because God can change hearts, friends. He can change desires. He's in the business of it. Let Him do His work. Remember, it starts with the individual. Keep our eyes upon Jesus. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. See, And all things are possible to Him that believeth. So, you know, if you're in a strained marriage... Let the Lord educate you. Be educated in the school of Christ. Make him number one. And he can help bring unity and love into that marriage. But this, see, this idea here of why marriages fail today, that storybook expectations, limited training, that's big. Um, this leads to the second reason for failed marriages, as Smalley gives, And that is that men and women lack understanding about the general differences between men and women. That gets back to number one, limited training. You see, God created us differently for very good reasons. And we must understand that God has wired a woman's brain differently than He wired a man's brain. And He did it for a reason. It's because they... The, the the man and the woman have been given different roles to fulfill in the family unit and thus in the church family as well, you see. Now, I spoke to the men a bit before about how God wired a woman differently than man. And uh, because of this, there's a difference in love languages, you see, between a man and a woman that unless learned will most likely end the relationship or may just make it sterile or, you know, it'll be unhappy. I'll tell you that. So ladies, just as the man, or the men, I should say, need to learn the woman's language, and there are nuances to each person too because we're all individuals, we're all different, a little bit different in, in ways. But these are principles, remember. So, ladies, you you also need to learn the language of a man so that you'll have a much greater success in communicating and working um, together to the glory of God. Now, what are some of the differences? Well, and some of these I'm sure you'll recognize. Men are more preoccupied with practicalities that can be understood through logical deduction. It's got to be logical, see? If it doesn't sound logical or it isn't logical, a man will find it difficult to understand that communication. Or he may think, well, it doesn't make sense, or it's just silly ramblings. I have no idea what she's talking about. Because <laughs> it doesn't sound logical, see. Now, if it does sound logical, he. this is another trap that I've experienced Till I come to understand the language, see. It may sound logical, it may be logical, But he may think he completely understands what's being said only to find out that the woman is frustrated because he just isn't hearing her. Thus, you have frustration between the two and until the language barrier is overcome and understood the relationship, it will become weaker. Um, You may not recognize right away, men, that it's becoming weaker because she may be communicating logically and you think, oh yeah, I understand it, I got it. But if you don't really understand what she's, quote, saying, she's going to be very frustrated because you're not, quote, hearing her. A lot of times, guys, it's not with the words. <laughs> so we we got to understand what she's really saying. And you can understand. You just have to learn the language. Ladies, I'll tell you, it helps, incredibly helps, it helps dramatically to understand that God created men to be logical and mostly practical beings. They deduce, you see, we, I'm a man, we deduce from A to B. And that's it. We don't go on the route from A to B. We don't drop off at Q and then S and whatever. We're A to B. And until that's accomplished... You know we're on that line yeah, there's no detours or b- i don't say i don't want to say there's no detours because we can be detoured, but we have to give up b and go from a to you know m and then we're just a to m see. <laughs> And and this is difficult sometimes for ladies to deal with because they're multitaskers. They're they're deducing from A to B, but they make a few other deductions along the way from A to B. That's the way we're, we're wired differently. Men just aren't... We're not wired to do that. We can't. It's very difficult. Yeah, my wife says, try. How can you if you're not wired to do that? You know? It's like... Okay, if you want to start your car, you have to put key A into ignition B. You're telling me, no, put the key in the trunk and the car will start. We can't do that. <laughs> you see? We can't do that. But women are multitaskers, see? And so it's, it's difficult for one to understand the other in many respects. You know, that... That's why guys will have several projects going at the same time and it seems like nothing is advancing because they can only focus on one at a time for whatever time they give it. And when we get interrupted, and guys, I'll I'll just tell you this, is kind of humorous. When we get interrupted, that's when we lose tools. (laughs) And we walk around going, now where did I put that drill? Or where did I put that screwdriver? Because I got interrupted from A to B. See? men tend to be more, um, back back to the differences here, men tend to be more conquer-oriented, you know, competing for dominance, uh, hence interest in such things as sports or hunting and fishing, anything really that, that challenges their physical and mental prowess. Men tend to be more oriented to that. Men tend to be less desirous and knowledgeable in building intimate relationships, really with either gender. Women are more relationship-oriented, see, than men are. So, so men can accept change usually much quicker than a woman who is, like I said, relationship-oriented. And pick up and go. See. Men tend to be more task-oriented, Less talkative. And boy, that's a big sticking point a lot of times, isn't it, guys? Um, more isolated. I'll get to that in just a moment. Women got to communicate, they're wired that way. So, fellas, we got to learn how to listen. men have a more difficult time understanding emotions that are not explicitly verbalized and guessing just gets us into more trouble guys it's better just to be quiet and listen but we oftentimes we'll see an emotion and we just don't know what's what's the reason for this you need to tell me exactly yeah that's when it becomes difficult when the woman really doesn't know why she's doing that, and she expects the man to understand it. <laughs> well, you don't even know. How am I supposed to know? You know. <laughs> you know. I found it interesting. I was, I was studying this. I found it interesting to learn that an area of the brain called the inferior lobule it's IPL for short, is typically significantly larger in men, especially on the left side than in the women. And it's this section of the brain that is thought to control mental mathematical ability. And probably explains why men frequently perform higher, uh, you find, in mathematical tasks than the women do. Not always, but more frequently. And, and I found this interesting, too, that this is the same area of Einstein's brain that was uh, discovered to be abnormally large. He was a mathematical genius. Now, the IPL also processes sensory information. And the larger right side in women allows them to focus on, quote, specific stimuli, stimuli, such as a baby crying in the night, end quote. Now my wife always thought that I was ignoring the crying baby in the middle of the night. But I am not wired as well as she is to hear such things. Now I have science to prove it. <laughs> How could I deny my crying baby? Really. You know. And this gets me to to this um Uh, uh. men can tend to be more isolated men have, have been wired to deal with everyday stress differently than women and this has been scientifically proven in brain scans men compartmentalize their mind and there is a compartment in a man's brain that he can mentally run to and think about absolutely nothing my wife sees she's shaking her head no and and this is because women cannot understand this, they cannot. <laughs> it's it's essentially it's like his thinking ability just shuts off for a few moments, and they, and they have found this in in tests. You know they're checking brain waves and all this, and all of a sudden a man goes to his his uh, absolutely nothing place, and it just kind of deadlines, there's like no activity, or I don't want to say no activity, there's very little activity than there was before. It's just like his thinking ability just shut down. And women tend to have a hard time believing it, but every man knows this to be true. One counselor, Mark Gunger, isn't that his name? Isn't it Mark? Yeah, he's a pastor, he's a counselor, marriage counselor. He calls it the man's nothing box. And I'll tell you, there have been times in my life that I've been in my nothing compartment, and on the outside, physically, it appears like I'm thinking about something. But really, I'm not, and my wife will ask me, what are you thinking about? And I tell her nothing, and because she thinks that this is impossible, assumptions are made that I'm hiding something or I just don't want to talk to her. Not necessarily true. Some guys may do that. Men have the ability to think of nothing, you see, in order to get some relief from stress. We're wired that way to give our mind a chance to reboot before we head out from A to B again. And so, you know, beloved, if we we as men and women can be educated in the way God created us differently, we'll be much more able to understand each other. We'll be much more able to communicate and love each other to form a family unit under the lord's plan now I've just shared some of the some of the differences I could spend you know a long time on this subject, but uh, I'll point you to these books again that'll help educate you uh, in fulfilling God's role in the family unit help you with communication and there are others you know uh Gary Smalley's book, if only he knew uh, Gary Chapman's book The Five Love languages and you can read that I encourage you to you and your wife to do do that together. His Needs, Her Needs by Willard uh, F. Harley Jr. Same with that book. Both of you can do that together. Of course, the book Adventist Home is very good. And, and there are other books, like I said, that can aid you, but be sure that whatever you study lines up with principles found in God's Word. So I encourage you to become uh, more educated as to how to have that loving partnership with your spouse and gospel order in the home. In fact, the education really never ends, does it? In the school of Christ, anyway. So, you know, there are plain differences between men and women, and there are subtle differences in the languages, and we need to be educated to that, uh, That and it will bring us into closer unity as uh, husband and wife, and even children, and that will be rippled out to the church. And we, we need to have this gospel order uh, to finish the work. And so uh, let's take a look now at what the Bible has to say about the role of the, the woman, the wife, the mother in God's family plan. And we're God's plan. We need to be grounded on God's plan. The first mention of the role of the woman is found in Genesis chapter 2. And um, something that I want to mention here for you to think about, especially to the young men who are looking for a wife. But the the ladies should learn the lesson here too, and that is that Adam was completely prepared for marriage before Eve was brought to him to be his wife by God. And one of these days, I need to pull out my my notes and and put the message together about preparation for marriage Uh, because it's just most of what is done today is, is from the worldly aspect The cultural aspect. But uh, you will find um, that Adam was well prepared for marriage. He had a home. The Garden of Eden, right? He had an occupation. He was the governor of the world. Um, He had security. All his needs were provided. And most importantly, he was doing God's will. He was prepared. Ladies and gentlemen, beloved, there are great lessons being taught to us here in Genesis about preparation for marriage. As Adam was well prepared for marriage, God provided a bride for him. And these are principles that are set up at the very beginning. You can see them applied over and over though throughout the Bible. We see in chapter 2 of Genesis that the uh, the creation of Eve for Adam. Let's let's go there. Genesis 2, verse 18, we'll begin with. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. Remember, Adam was the governor of, placed as governor of this world. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a help for him. There wasn't somebody in his image, see? And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And we know before from studies they had that robe of righteousness, that glow of righteousness around them. But I want you to notice, please notice this, that the primary, the number one role of the woman is to be a helpmate for the man. Well, what does that mean? You see, sadly, the definition has been forgotten or distorted by uh, many today for one reason or another, and they fit the devil's purposes in destroying marriage and the family unit. or Helpmate means a counterpart of himself, one formed from him, and a perfect resemblance of his person. Now, this implies that the woman was to be a perfect resemblance of the man... Possessing neither inferiority nor superiority, but being in all things like and equal to himself, but having a different role than him. Does that make sense? She was to be his companion and his helper. The woman was formed for inseparable unity and fellowship of life with the man in the mode of her creation, was to lay the actual foundation for the moral ordinance of marriage. The two shall be one flesh. See? And I'll tell you, this is the only definition of marriage. God blessed the covenant, you see, made between the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve. They started a family. That's what marriage is for to start a family. And this is something that the same gendered people cannot do. It doesn't fit the definition, as it cannot further the race. That's what a family is formed to do, among other, some other things. Eve was to stand by Adam's side as an equal, because you know, she was created um, from a rib taken from his side. And she was to be loved and protected by him. The rib is located where? Under the arm of strength. And we covered just a little bit of that and we talked about leadership role of men. Marriage, you see, is an example of the fellowship of love and life that exists between the Lord and his church. Remember, family on earth is a symbol of the family in heaven. What? Happens in the family affects the church because the family actually is a church, a Christian family. Notice this Signs of the Times, September 6, 1899. God made for man a woman to be a companion and helpmeet for him, to be one with him, to cheer, encourage, and bless him, and he in his turn is to be her strong helper. All who enter the matrimonial life with a holy purpose, the husband to obtain the pure affection of a woman's heart, the wife to soften and improve her husband's character and give it completeness, fulfill God's purpose for them. That's God's plan. To be like God. To learn more about God by being married to each other. A family. A symbol of the family in heaven. Are you seeing it? Genesis 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. You see, Adam and Eve were both equally created in the image of God. What's that mean? Well, neither of them received more of the image of God than the other. So the Bible begins with the equality of the sexes. As persons, as human beings, as spiritual beings standing before God, men and women are absolutely equal. However, we do see that there are specific differences in each physically, emotionally, and mentally. As we've seen before, how the brain functions, you know, for each. Each has their own role, though, for the master, as well as for each other. The term helpmate... Also infers, among other things, companionship, love, and for a married couple, sexual intimacy. Talk to any widower about the importance of companionship and he'll, he'll, he's not going to tell you about sexual satisfaction or the need of having a housekeeper or, you know, he wish he had a cook. What he's going to talk about is the emotional bond that blends two hearts and lives together as one. This is the thing that is fundamental to the completeness of man, you see, and woman. When a wife fails to be the emotional support her husband needs, she's failed in a basic role assigned by God, and he will seek it out somewhere else. Sexually, too. Yeah, that's, that's really important. Because, you see, husbands need love just as much as little children do. Many women fail to realize how much a man is dependent upon the approval and the acknowledgement of his wife or of a woman. Nothing helps a man more than being praised by a woman. And if he receives more praise from another woman other than his wife, that may just be the first step towards infidelity. Now, this type of love I'm talking about here, it's not like agape love, but it is affection or a tender feeling of, uh, you know, filio love. A man wants to be admired. He needs to know his worth. He yearns for esteem from his wife. Compliments from the boss or, you know, buddies are nice, but nothing will substitute the compliment his wife and give him. And a wife is also is, you know, is very important sexually. A wife is to be intimate with her husband. We talked about this a bit before. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 speaks of due benevolence which both the husband and wife are to render unto one another. And if these dues are not rendered, they defraud and Satan can get an advantage upon the family unit through that. He's looking for any crack in the armor. But I think that Genesis 1, verse 28, mentions the most basic example of suitability and, and completes what man cannot do alone. It says, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth. I just thought of J.P.'s statement at Joshua's wedding. <laughs> be fruitful and multiply the the woman of faith accepts this as a, an honorable role with joy with gratification all of these elements beloved are are included in the primary role of the woman and wife to be a helpmate to the man the husband a second responsibility of a woman and wife is that of being a servant. You'll notice that God did not create the man and woman spontaneously at the same time. But rather, He he created Adam first, and Eve later for the specific purpose of being a helper to Adam. Not a slave. I'm not saying slave. Don't think I'm saying slave. A helper. We defined what a helpmeet was. Though Eve was Adam's equal, she was given a role to fulfill in submitting to him. Now, while the word "helper" carries very positive connotations, even being used of God Himself, as you know in the Bible, you'll find it a helper of Israel, etc., it still describes one in a relationship of service to another. While Christian marriage is. uh, is to involve mutual love and submission between two believers, the New Testament, in four separate passages, expressly gives to the wives the responsibility to submit to their husbands. Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 24. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. That's the key. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Knows that word, even. See? And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, you see, the, the biblical picture of a union filled with love and harmony where both partners are submitting to one another, where both lovingly sacrifice for the best interest of the other, and where the husband is the leader in a relationship of two equals, that's that's the ideal. That's the biblical picture. The church is to behave in the same way by submitting unto Christ, see? Look at uh, verse... 33, Ephesians 5 verse 33 Nevertheless let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. See the conditions? And the wife sees that she reverence her husband. And reverence that word reverence it consists of love and esteem which produce what? A care to please. You know and of fear. That's the word reverence, of fear, which cautions one not to offend. Don't offend your husband. That's what's being said. The wife is to love, esteem, and seek not to offend her husband. That's what Paul is saying. Look at Colossians 3 and verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. What ha- has happened in, in, in the... Christian culture today is there's a misunderstanding so often of what the word submit means. You are to submit. But we gotta understand that submission is also it's an attitude and not just an action. Submission begins in the heart. Give me an example. There's a, little, there's a story I read one time. It was a story about a little boy that was instructed by his teacher to sit down and be quiet. And because of his rebellious nature, he didn't want to do that. But he was forced to by his teacher. And later, the children in the class were, were chiding him. They're saying, boy, you really sat down and shut up when the teacher got the paddle... And the little boy replied, I may have been sitting down on the outside, but I'm still standing up on the inside. So you see, it's about attitude. Submission begins in the heart. And it begins to Christ. Submit to Christ. Many times women who claim to be submissive are only outwardly going through the motions of submission, while inwardly they're still resenting their position in the home life. I see it all the time, sad to say. And notice, too, that there are limits to submission, right? The wife is to submit herself to her husband as unto the Lord and as it is fit in the Lord. And I've, I've found that too many husbands leave those parts out of the equation and think that whatever they demand of the wife is to be fulfilled. That's just not true. The wife is to see in her relation to her husband a reflection, or um, illustration is a better word, I think, of her relation to Christ. She's not to become a slave or beast of burden to her husband, you know, scurrying about, submitting to his every whim, even sexually, when they're sexually intimate. I'm to share this with you. It's a manuscript, releases, volume 13, page 74. God requires that the wife shall keep the fear and glory of God ever before her. What does He require of the wife? Fear and glory glory of God before her, right? Entire submission is to be made only to the Lord Jesus Christ, who has purchased her as His own child by the infinite price of His life. God has given her a conscience which she cannot violate with impunity, Her individuality cannot be merged in that of her husband. For she is the purchase of Christ. It is a mistake to imagine that with blind devotion, she is to do exactly as her husband says in all things, when she knows that in so doing, injury would be worked for her body and her spirit, which have been ransomed from the slavery of Satan. There is one who stands higher than the husband to the wife. It is her Redeemer. And her submission to her husband is to be rendered as God has directed, as fit as it is fit in the Lord. You're not going to submit to your husband if, for example, he forbids you to keep the Sabbath day holy. You can't submit to that, that's not fit in the Lord. Yeah, there's, my wife says some husbands want their wife to dress provocatively, immodestly when they go out to dinner or whatever it may be. He's using you see? As it is fit in the Lord. Let's look at Titus 2 and verse 5. This goes along with being servant, you see. To be discreet chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Now, when you see that word obedient, I can just tell, you know, the ladies, I've said that before, ladies kind of go, hmm. But let's go on, we'll get to that in just a minute. First Peter chapter 3, let's look at verses 1 and 6. Verse 1, likewise ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Verse 6, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. The word obey, see, in the Greek has a prefix that means under and a verb meaning to bear. So, obey means to bring oneself under what is heard. When a husband voices a decision for the family, this is what's being spoken of. When a husband voices a decision for the family, the wife, according to these scriptures, is to listen and submit. This doesn't mean that the wife is to shut up and not have an opinion, or to counsel together with her husband. That's not what's being said here. And a husband, a godly husband, wouldn't do that. A godly husband wants to know the, th- the thoughts of his wife before a decision is made. But once it comes to making a decision, as the leader of the home, it's the husbands to make. And again, the limits of a wife's subjection are found in the statements as unto the Lord and as is fit in the Lord. You see, since the head of man is Christ, no husband has the authority to rule his wife in conflict with the teaching of Christ, for Christ has all authority. (laughs) See? Therefore, no wife is required to submit to the dictates of her husband when he is violating her obedience to Christ. Like I said, he says, well, you're not going to keep the seventh day holy. Well, that's when you say, yes, I am. I cannot go against my Lord. Etc. Now, this Sometimes it's a problem uh, for women who are married to men who are not Christians or unfaithful. But a wife must still submit to an unbelieving husband. You, you know, look at First Peter chapter 3. It's pretty clear about that. However, if her husband insists she break the com- commandments of God in any way, then she must in all good conscience refuse, in a humble and meek way, of course. I've known hus- you know, wives that Quit going and keep quit keeping the Sabbath and go to church on Sunday because her husband made her. I'm sorry that doesn't fly. A husband cannot make her his wife sin. That's a choice. Sin is a choice. But a faithful wife is always subject to the Lord first and to her husband second. And so you see. What she's got to do, she's got to acknowledge the authority of both Christ and her husband so that she'll serve reverently and humbly, as is her role. And by the way, this principle of submission is a permanent fixture. It is a character trait of godliness, true, unselfish charity. Let's look at Matthew chapter 20. As I begin to wrap this up here. Verse 25. But Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. This applies in a marriage relationship, friends. Well, actually in any relationship for that matter. So submission is not not necessarily a a female-only package, is it? but should be the attitude of us all as Christians. We learn and grow from talking to each other, whether, you know, uh, whether a husband and wife or brother and sister or mother and father with their children, and are told to keep a humble and contrite heart. That's what the Bible teaches us. We are to develop relationships of trust and confidence and respect with all men, so there is an element of submission in everything we do. First of all, we are to submit ourselves to Christ. Amen? Every one of us. Jesus was our example. He submitted to the Father's will until he died. And then the Father put all authority under the feet of Jesus, you see. The wife submits to her own husband, and he loves her so much that he, in turn, gives much authority and trust and confidence in her opinion. And he sets her in high esteem for the world to see. As an example. But in order to understand the meaning of submission, from God's perspective, we must first of all submit to God and do as He has instructed so that we may all benefit from a lifetime of, of blessings and care and love. And this is a completely different definition that, the, the, for example, the feminist movement has for being submissive to your husband. And we see the results of such a definition in the breakdown of the family unit in our culture today. And wrapping up here, let's review just real quick. What have we learned so far concerning the differences between men and women and the, the role of women? Well, essentially, men are wired differently than women. And learning the differences will aid in communication between the spouses and bring love and order to the home. It will help to do that. Men and women have different roles in God's plan for the family, and thus the church. And the two roles for the woman or the wife that we covered, first, she is the helpmate for the man. That's her first role. Men and women were created equal in a relationship to God and to each other. Among other things, a helpmeet infers companionship, love, affection, and for married couples, sexual intimacy. The second role we find for uh, the woman, the wife, the mother, she is to be a servant. Men and women are equal in the eyes of God but have different roles. Women are to submit to the man unless it places them in a position of dis- disobeying God. But yet they, they refuse that meekly and humbly, as Jesus teaches us. And so, uh, we'll continue with this study and the next time we get together. In the meantime, I'd I leave you with the words of Paul, found in Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily, as to the Lord, and not unto men knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Friends, as we study these things, if you get anything from what we cover, it's this. Submit yourself to Christ. Submit yourself to Christ. You'll never regret it. Then all these other things the Spirit will lead you into. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we again thank you so much for this Sabbath day. We thank you so much for your holy word, uh, the Council of Inspired Writings. We thank you so much for the Holy Spirit who is teaching us and leading us uh, to the truth and to gospel order within our families, thus within the church, so that we can be a unified body to finish the work of the three angels' messages and uh, sin can come to an end for Jesus shall return. Lord, we thank you so much for the angels who protect us, for the temporal uh, necessities that you provide. We thank you for our families, for our spouses and our children. We pray, Lord, that you will be very, very near to each one. Help us, Lord, to walk uprightly and be an example of Jesus to everyone, to take the things that we've learned and study them out so that we may be approved unto thee. We thank you for hearing our prayer. We ask it in the name of Jesus, who is worthy. Amen.